contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. Hey, welcome to another edition of the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. I'm getting a lot of questions this week with the start of the new league year upon us in the NFL, the business of football really coming strong. All these questions about the salary cap and how do you account for it and what about room and everybody's got room and $177 million and what does that mean and how do they calculate that and I just thought maybe it's time for a little Cap 101 on this podcast by popular demand. Let's give the people what they want. You know, I did this for 10 years. I went up against it for 10 years as an agent. I'll tell you a little bit about it. You know, the salary cap was something that was invented, if you will, as part of a negotiation. The Reggie White uh, versus NFL lawsuit back in 1993 was really codified into the first real, as I call it, CBA, real collective bargaining agreement in sports that created the idea of free agency as a concept. And it was a change. It was, it was an exchange for the NFL between a salary cap and free agency. You boil these whole CBA down to four words back then, the NFL got a cap. In other words, an artificial, restric- artificial restriction on what was going to be paid to these players What did the players get? Well, they got a lot of things, but basically they got free agency. For the first time in the history of NFL, there was actually unfettered free agency after four years in the league. And this was something that resulted, as it always does at the beginning, in dramatically higher salaries. The first big free agent was a guy who went to Green Bay, Wisconsin, of all places, Reggie White. And the the standard fare from ownership, certainly in all their litigation, was – We can't let free agency happen because all the best players will go to Miami and Los Angeles and New York and Dallas and all the hot markets and the little markets will be left behind. Well, look what happened. Reggie White, the ultimate free agent, the biggest one of all, is like, yeah, I'm going to Green Bay, Wisconsin. And God told me, you know, I talked to the agent, Jimmy Sexton. I knew Reggie well when he was alive and God rest his soul. What a Maybe one of the best presences I've ever met. You know, I met John Thompson, the elder. That was a presence I'll never forget. But Reggie White, like, wow. And Gene Upshaw, speaking of football, same kind of thing. Just this presence, not only the girth of the man, but his presence when he walked in the room and he had you. But anyway, Reggie went to Green Bay, asked Jimmy Sexton, his agent. You know, I read the stuff about God telling him and all that. He goes, Andrew. Green Bay offered the most money by far. And it was pretty simple. And that was what the agency was meant to accomplish, and it did. So all of a sudden, we have free agency in sports, but the trade-off, the exchange, the consideration for that was always a cap. And the cap came into being back in 1993. Now, in the early days of the cap, well, not the early days, probably all the way until 2011, 2010, the calculation for the cap, stay with me here, DGR, designated gross revenues, and the way that would be calculated was this complicated formula that basically took took into account all the revenue coming into the NFL, but only designated, which really came down to two sources, ticket revenue, which was pretty good at the time, but mostly television revenue, broadcast revenue. That is the key source of revenue in the NFL, was then, is now, and will always be in my opinion. Uh, now, it may not be television going forward, but it'll be broadcast slash media, if not television. So anyway, that was the way to calculate it. And through negotiation, the NFLPA was able to get up to 59% as the years went on 
of total revenue. I'm sorry, of DGR, of designated gross revenues. So in simplest terms, by the time we got to the end of the deal before the present deal, we had Gene Upshaw leading the union at 59% of DGR, came out to about a net-net 50-50. A net-net where the NFL owners got 50% and the NFL players got 50%. And the big issue with sports, I always get this from people, all these guys make so much money. Here's the issue with all sports. There's a lot of money coming in, primarily, as I said, from broadcast. How do you split it up? That is the ultimate question. Ask the guy on the street who thinks either owners make too much or players make too much. Then ask the question, well, how do you split it up? You got a pile of money being dropped from the sky for this sports league. And then you have to decide how to split it up. Well, back in the day, that 59% of DGR worked about to about 50% of all revenue. And Gene Upshaw, before he passed, was able to get that deal. I'll never forget He wanted more than DGR. He always did because he used to do his annual visits to Green Bay. We'd always have lunch. He'd always sit in my office. And towards the later years when we had renovated Lambeau Field and he sees the Packer Pro Shop and he sees the ice cream and he sees the restaurant and he sees the tours, he just sort of looked wistfully. I remember at that scene and he said, we got to get some of this. We got to get some of this. We can't be denied shares of all this revenue coming into these teams. So he began it, and by the time the new CBA and new leadership of the NFL came about, the standard moved from DGR to AR, and AR is all revenues. Now, it's not that blanket, but AR is basically all revenues coming in with some carve-outs. The carve-outs would be things like uh, sweet sale, sweet money, club seat, premium seat revenue. That sticks with ownership. That does not get shared by the players. Another thing that obviously doesn't get shared by the players, but it's been a, a billion dollars, billion point one dollars over the past couple of years, a billion point five, actually, if you count all three teams, relocation fees for Oakland, for San Diego and for St. Louis, these relocation, relocation, excuse me, relocation fees, two teams going to L.A., one going to Vegas, that's 550 million for the two teams in L.A., about 350 million for the team going to Vegas. Uh, giving out to the rest of the owners, that's a billion one. That's not shared. So it is AR. It is all revenue to be shared, by, and that's how they figure out the cap. But with the pot getting bigger in terms of AR versus DGR, the percentage went down in the new negotiation. So the new negotiation by DeMora Smith and leadership at the union with the NFL got 40, a band. They come up with a band, and it's very complicated, but you take uh, three buckets of revenue. You take uh, sponsorships and licensing. You take broadcast and you take local. And you have different bands from each and you throw it into a big stew pot. And anywhere between 46 and 48% are, is what the percentage of AR going to the players per year. And we are closer to that 46 point number now. And that is unfortunate because it used to be really a 50 50. And now it's a 46 of AR, and AR, of course, is not truly all revenue. So where we get the number now today, $177.2 million, is from this band. Now, the cap has gone up $10 million. The year before, it went up $12 million. I know the union has been out there saying, hey, look, it went up about $10 million a year for the first, for the, I don't know, fourth, fifth straight year. 
which can get up to 170 million and you're only going up 10 million, you know, that's, that's about five, 6%. You know, it's, it's not terrible, but it's not great. Uh, you know, the NBA cap went up 24 million for a quarter of the players the other year, it went from 70 to 94 a couple of years ago. And NFL, the most it's gone up is 12, half that for four times the number of players. So it's not great to see these cap increases. And surely I think we would like some transparency. We'll never get it. I don't think we'll ever get it. Certainly not from the league that doesn't want to appear that take advantage of the players and not from the players. Now we've heard that some money was thrown off into the player performance pool. And that's why the cap didn't go up as much as expected. Well, that's great. Player performance pool rewards players that play a lot, didn't make a lot of money, came in under rookie contracts. And, but that's something the NFL would give every day of the week. I mean, they would certainly give up non-negotiable dollars, which is part of a benefit rather than negotiable dollars, which is part of a cap. So here we are. Now, every team has $177 million, but I don't think there's any team that's going into 2018 with only $177 million of cap room, that of, of salary cap, because here's what happens. With the new CBA, teams can roll over amounts from the previous year into the next year, and there's no limit on that. There is no limit on how much you roll over. In other words, if somehow you end the year with $100 million of cap room, you could roll that over again. And instead of your number being 177, it's 277. Sound preposterous? Well, think again. You have the Cleveland Browns coming in at $236 million, meaning they've rolled over 60-something million dollars. San Francisco 49ers, they're at 233. Tennessee Titans are at 207, 30 million above the actual cap. So to say these teams are dealing with 177 million cap, no, they're dealing with a lot more than that because what happened was at this time last year, you had about a billion dollars of available cap room and, and I'm predicting this will happen again, 300 million of that billion wasn't used, just sat there unused. And it's not user to lose it, but it ends up being that way because they just roll it over and they'll roll it over again. Look at the 49ers. They just put a $30 million cap number on Jimmy Garoppolo, and they're sitting there with $230 million of cap room. They can't spend it, and they won't spend it. And so what they'll do is they'll roll it over again, and next year they'll have $260 million of cap room. Listen, here is the problem with the CBA. Everyone can talk about commissioner discipline and franchise tag and this and that and safety, blah, blah, blah. Here's the real problem. These teams are not held accountable for their player spending. They're not. Now, someone could think and say, well, don't they have men spending minimums? Absolutely, they got spending minimums. It's 89% of, of the cap over four years. And even though there was no accounting, years one and two of the CBA in 2011, 2012, but four years over 13 to 17, no team came under that amount. And now we're in the 17 to 2020 bucket where they analyze that in three years or two years. But here's the problem. Here is the problem. The calculation on minimum spending is based on the actual cap. The actual cap. It's not based on the adjusted cap. The adjusted cap, for, like as I said, for teams like Titans, 49ers, uh, Jaguars, Browns, they're all over $200 million. So 
whatever 89% of 177, think about that percent when you apply it to 230 million. So pick a number. I'll do it right here on my calculator. Okay, hold on a second. Here I am. Uh, 117 million. I think it's 117.2. I'm sorry. 177.2 million is your cap times 89%. That's 157.7 million. Okay. So let's take the Browns at 236. 157.7 million divided by 236 million. That's 66.8%. Let's say, give it a benefit of the doubt. Let's say 67%. So the effective minimum spending requirement for the Cleveland Browns in 2018, the effective spending requirement is 67%. 67%. Okay? It's not 89%. It's 67%. To meet their, their cap minimums, they have to spend... 67% of their cap. Think about that. This is how teams like are gaming the system. This is how the NFL is winning this CBA. It's not all the other stuff. This is it. Teams are not being held accountable to spend on players. They're being held accountable to maybe be more attuned to safety, maybe be more attuned to concussions. We have a lot of people on the sidelines. They're being held accountable to not punish players for standing the anthem. Well, we can talk more about that. Stephen Ross had a hiccup. The Texans, maybe. I mean, but they're not being held accountable on what the business is all about, the bottom line. Now, we're going to see all these big contracts come up in the next few weeks and and Kirk Cousins or whoever it is in free agency. But again, spending is down. The NFLPA pointed to spending that all te- you know that half the teams are spending to the cap. Well, they're spending to the actual cap, not their cap, just the cap you put out there as the number because they're rolling over unused cap and guess what? They're going to roll over unused cap again. That is a fallacy. It's a folly of this agreement. I seem to be the only one railing about it. Maybe I'm the only one who understands it, but it just seems pretty obvious to me. If you had a minimum spending on adjusted caps, oh, wow, then the players are in business. But if you only have minimum spending on the actual cap, screw it. Owners get over. Think about the Cleveland Browns. Think about Jimmy Haslam. He is required to spend about 60% of his uh, on players, 60% of the cap on players. He's got $236 million sitting there at cap room. They're not going to spend it. They're going to spend near it. 49ers, they're not going to spend it. Titans, Jaguars, they're not going to spend it. Anyway, that's a thought on the cap and sort of giving you a background of the salary cap. How do you calculate a cap number? That's really based on this idea of proration. Signing bonuses are allowed to be prorated under the cap. I right away. I don't like proration. I think if you're managing a cap, you try to pay as you go. As I said, with the 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo, they got a ton of cap room. Why not use it? You know, why give a signing bonus, which is prorated, which pushes out cap into future years when you can just pay it all right away, match your cash and cap. When I say match your cash and cap, if you want to pay a guy uh, a five-year, $50 million contract, and say first year is going to be $20 million. You can say, 
and I think in a, in a non-prudent way, you can make $15 million of it in bonus and in the first year and $5 million in salary. So there your cap number is $8 million because you're prorating the 15 over 5. That's 3. But you're pushing out $12 million of cap room into future years. If things go south with the player, everything accelerates the year you cut him or he retires. So if player that player plays only two years with that $15 million bonus, you're going to have $10 million, um, I'm sorry, $9 million accelerate right when you cut them it's going to have a hole in your cap for someone who's not there for nine million dollars the ultimate example are the big quarterbacks like roethlisberger like tony romo is the best example he leaves the cowboys uh and here's a guy who's not on the team counting 19 million on the cap there's a hole in their cap for 19 million dollars think about what you could do with that money and the reason is because they went to him all the time and they said hey Let's take your $10 million salary. We'll give you $2 million salary and $8 million bonus. They push out the bonus if they got three years after that. They then save $6 million on the cap because they're pushing out more and more. They did this multiple times. Obviously, to get a $19 million number on a guy that's not earning any salary, <laughs> you can see how screwed up that is cap-wise. Uh, some teams, Steelers, Saints, continue to push the ball down the road on this. I think it's unfortunate. The real issue is... Try to pay as you go. Teams get ahead of the curve with their with their structure, with their cap management. Uh, teams can walk away with players with nothing to worry about. Uh, you know, I think the the uh, Tampa Bay is a team that's had a lot of cap room, and they pay as you go. I think they're parting with a player they signed last year, Chris Baker. They walk away. They paid him a lot of money, but they have no cap acceleration. There's nothing on that. So I think. If you want to calculate a cap number, sure, use a signing bonus proration and then you divide that out the number of years. But I think that's really an unfortunate way. And now teams with so much cap room, you know, again, the teams I talk about with a lot of cap room, there's no reason at all for them to give signing bonuses. Just give roster bonuses. They're not prorated or give guaranteed salary. Uh, like a, I contracted, I applauded the contract the Broncos gave Peyton Manning years ago. Zero proration in that contract, just straight salary. One year, $19 million, $20 million, 19, 18. Okay, great. You got cap room, use it. Don't worry about proration. It can only get you in trouble. So that's a thought about cap room and proration. The other thing coming up, ignore the big number. You're going to see this guy signed for $50 million, $80 million. The quarterback's $100 million, $120 million. It's worthless. It's zero. It's folly. It's just a number on a page. Because, and you know the reason why? Because watch the waiver wire this last week and this next week. All these guys are being cut with existing contracts where future contract value is just dust in the wind. It just turns to dust. Look at the names. Chris Ivory, Jacksonville, 20 million, turns to dust. Muhammad Wilkerson, the Jets, signed for 85. It was reported 85. It was splashy headlines. He made 35. Now it's no slouch to make 35 million from the Jets. But that's $50 million he's not making. Dust in the wind. Okay, there's two players right there. That's $75 million. Teams just hit file the league. Gone. You can do that. Uh, who else has been cut? Uh, Kurt Coleman from Carolina. Charles Johnson from Carolina. Uh, players are going to get cut right and left the next few weeks. There's going to be hundreds, hundreds of millions of dollars in quote-unquote, quote-unquote contract value, it's just going to go away. 
So again, I just try to point this out. When you see the big numbers, I know, I know that the media can't help it. And I'm media, but I don't do it. They just can't help themselves. Why? Two reasons. The editors want headlines. Headlines don't come with 30 million. They come with 80 million. And two, the agents. The agents are giving them the numbers. And the agents in return for giving them the numbers want the splashy deals. They want the numbers out there. They want to use it in recruiting. They want to use it for their client. They want to show their friends. I get it. So it's a game we play. And when I was with a team and the player wanted to, sh- uh, the agent wanted to shout out the headline of the big number, I'm like, hey, listen, whatever floats your boat. If that helps the deal gets done, the deal gets done. Uh, yeah, it's okay. I knew in my mind we we're never going to pay that. But if they want to throw it out there, fine. Just the game we play. So take note of these deals. Look for the guarantee. And even the guarantee is not the guarantee. Some of these guarantees are not guarantees. You got to get to the second year. Uh, It's only guaranteed for injury until it becomes guaranteed for skill if you get to the second year. Or you get to the third year or you get to the fourth year. That's not a real guarantee. You got to be on the team at a certain level. That's not a guarantee. And injury guarantees have little value. How many players end their career with injuries? Very little. Uh, so, you know, in terms of getting injured one year and can't play the year after due to an injury in the previous year, very little risk for teams to do. And speaking of risk, the guarantees are usually in year one or year two where there's low risk. If I'm negotiating and the guys and the team says, well, I'll give you, you know, I'll give you a five year deal for 50 million with 25 guaranteed. I'm like, great. Make the 25 guaranteed in the last half of the deal, not the first. And the team will run so fast, you don't know what hit them because they don't want to do that. Contracts are all about allocation of risk. And if you want to allocate risk, you give guarantees early in the contract. If you want to allocate risk to the player, if you want to allocate risk to the team, you have guarantees later in the contract. Okay, that's a quick primer. Salary cap 101, contracts 101, my soapbox about guarantees, about caps, about minimum spending, about the game teams play on the players. We'll leave it at that for now. I'll get, I'll have more as this goes on, but that's a primer salary cap. One Oh one business of football. Thanks for listening. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew brand. Listen to the podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, tune in, give us a good rating if you would. And I'll be back next week with another edition of the business of sports with Andrew brand. Thanks for listening to the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker football podcast, fantasy feast, even money and college draft podcast, all at Ross or wherever podcasts are found.